Amplifying Voices from Development Perspectives and Field Fisher. Welcome to the third episode of our Amplifying Voices podcast series. In this episode, Daniela will share some of her challenges of raising an autistic child whilst living with and fleeing from conflict. She will also share some of the challenges associated with arriving in a new host country. Welcome, Daniela, to our new chapter of this Amplifying Our Voices podcast. So we're delighted to have you with us today. How are you? Hi, Maria. Thank you so much for participating today with your project. Not a problem. That's As I said, we're really happy to have you. I am personally looking forward to your story. I know you have a story you want to share with us, that it's um, it's really spoken from your heart and it's your truth. So I'm really looking forward to hear it. So perhaps we can just start um, on the beginning. So where does your story start? Uh, it started in Syria in 2011. And today I would like to share this story with the Irish audience and to, to talk about children with disabilities who they are among the most vulnerable in Syria war. The war started in 2011 in the border regions. And as you know, gradually it expanding to cover the most populated areas and big counties. Aleppo was one of the most affected area through this war. It's the oldest city in Syria with a population around 5 million people. It's known as the economical capital of Syria. Actually, all, all counties in Syria has experienced a massive population displacement between 2012 and 2017. A lot of staff and upper classes had left with their families because of the fear of death. A large number of them succeeded to establish new lives for them in places. For example, a lot of people who I know, they went to, to Turkey, others to Jordan and Egypt, and many others immigrated to Europe facing challenges or even risking of death to arrive in a different routes. And many others, they settled at camps. They come to Europe settling program with the United Nations. And as you know, during the war, the wartime, a lot of people lose many things. So the war was destroying buildings. It destroyed houses, schools, hospitals, and people's lives. But there is a part which no one has give his value. We can say it. It's a dark part which didn't get any attention from government or media channels with no voice for people to hear who are special needs and disabled children who had any kind of disabilities. For example, may they have Down syndrome, autism, 
or become disabled because of the war. So a lot of children lost their limbs, lost sight and hearing because of bombs or airstrikes, for example. Today, it's a chance for me to shed light on this case, on these uh, vulnerable children and how they live through this war. Thank you, Daniela. That's certainly very challenging, the context you're sharing, particularly for people that may require more um, support. Um, so perhaps to put us in context, um, so you, you, if you can describe a little bit, how was your life uh, before coming to Ireland? In fact, Maria, I'm talking today about this story because I am a mom of, I'm a one, one of these moms who suffered during the war. I have a special need child and I really feel other moms how they are living in the same cases, same conditions. Some of them is better than my situation and many others really their situation is worse than mine my child six year old he has only known war since the syrian civil war started in march 2011 if the brutal conflict is physically and emotionally distressing for regular syrian it's all the more so for my son and many other children at the same situation who has to live with their special needs under the harsh conditions of a refugee campus or in their isolated areas in Syria who is actually under the bombs or airstrikes. My family and I were displaced from Syria when the war escalated between the Syrian regime and the rebels 2012. The conflict's getting worse and worse day after day. I felt at the beginning when my son born, he was different. I tried to ask doctors and many other professionals about his condition. They said to me, he's normal, he has no issue, uh, he, you will see him when he grow, grow up, he will be better. But day after day, I still, he's, he's still different. He's getting worse. No one, no one was able to diagnose his case. In Syria, we have no professionals for these conditions. Uh, I saw that he's different from his daughter, my first uh, his sister, my first daughter, he had never hugged or kissed me. He's unsociable. He has hypersensory issue. For example, he doesn't like anyone to touch him. He doesn't like, he doesn't like similar to the children at his, the same in his age. So I still feel that my son is not okay. I started searching in the 
University of Google looking for any information that can tell me about his problem, can guide me. But the lack of access to medical facilities in all Syria, war zone cities and suburban has prevented me from even diagnosing his condition. I, I feel I'm alone, you know? We said that one hand can't clap. So it's getting worse and worse day after day. Despite a lack of special accommodations for him at the school building as well, I tried my best to learn from internet, YouTube videos to improve myself at first, then to improve him. The displacement for us was harsh and for him was so, so difficult. We left because of the violence that took over our city. We lost our house in an airstrike. We had faced financial hardship as well. And adding to all these is the absence of professional medical aid and treatment because of the war that had made it harder for us to find good care for my child. My child is only one among, among thousands of disabled Syrians who, who really have to carry a heavy burden of the conflicts according to rights organizations and experts following the plight of disabled Syrians. A lot, a lot of children with disabilities is still suffering there with no, with no exit for, for them, for their cases, you know. Many Syrians suffering from stigma, disabled st Syrians, stigma and exclusions with their communities. Actually, it's a, a bad thing that we have it in the community. They didn't accept any kind of disabled children. The mentality with war and without war, it was really not um, not good for 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 children with any special needs, any disability they have. So they was exposed to neglect and lack of profi professional, like a physiological, uh, psychological helps. This lack it could or would leave permanent psychological scares, especially on those who became impaired by the war. So this helpful, psychology helpful, it's not available in our country. So I can describe it that not just the child who's suffering from, so the, the family, the mom, the father, the sister, the siblings, all of them, they need also um, psychotherapy helps just to support them, you know? Yes, thank you so much, Daniela, for sharing that. Um, wow, it's, it sounds extremely challenging for your family um, to be facing this challenge, um, particularly in this context. So, Daniela, if perhaps you can help us understand a little bit more what other struggles the family have um, in terms of accessing specific support. So perhaps from your own experience, what other struggles did your family go through? Yes, Maria, as I told you that 
children has their challenges and the mother or father siblings also have their challenges in different way. Uh, they are struggling, all the family in Syria. Uh, the medical condition actually for all is not well known in Syria where families are struggle for support. A lack of awareness, as I told you at the beginning about autism, because we are, we can say not very promoted in the cases or conditions like autism down, we're not very in a high level in these, in our country. So we don't have enough awareness about them, uh, which really create, created or make it obstacles for the community all over. These conditions does not accept any kindness from the whole community, which, which is familiar. There is children, they, told, they, they, they spoke about these kind of children like crazy, they are useless, there is no hope from them. So this is familiar there to say about them like these words because the awareness was so, so, so weak. The direct impacts of armed conflict and resulting displacement can have grave impacts on the mental health and psychological well-being, as I told you, of both boys and, boys and girls. Uh, it's often, you know, it's often to, to make worse than this day after day if they didn't really find the solution to to cover this section this part which really uncovered with the professionals or organizations or we can say the the children rights all over the world so especially the stressor that arise from poor living conditions lack of nutrition and medical care and so you know this absence of education as well and other opportunity to develop can impact on children lives as well the number of intensity of risks and threat posed to children in the syrian crisis are enormous and really if they didn't find solutions it will get worse and worse the situation could seem overwhelming and potentially hopeless. Report statics only convey part of the picture. What can be missing are the children themselves, their voices, their courage, and their aspirations. Most of them felt shame around their identity. As I told you, they are disabled and they are, you know, they have they could able to to compare themselves to others so when they compare themselves to other they feel like they don't measure up or i don't know how they feel like you know losers there is a a saying called comparison is the thief of joy this holds especially true in neurodivers individual compare themselves or are compared with neurotypicals so comparing these these special cases or special need children or disabled 
are really, really hard for them. And that's really our society, how looks for these people. This society just compare, this is use, useless, this is hopeless, we can't depend, we can't improve them. So the people felt day after day, they are nothing at the community. Yes. Thank you, Daniela. I think, you know, your last phrase was so interesting. Um, how comparing um, plays role. Um, and I think also in terms of comparing, it's, you know, this is all human rights uh, that we're talking and access, access to support needed. But as you say, when comparing with what's happening, the reality in the communities uh, and what's still left to do, it's just a huge gap. So, uh, you know, your story, your family's story, it's a testimony of that. So I think it's been really powerful to hear and makes us reflect on, on you know, how, how these situations get even worse, these, these gaps get even worse in, in places where, for example, are under conflict. Um, so just, you know, to take the conversation now, um, perhaps to this part of the world. So how how is now your life in Ireland? So you described very, very detailed, um, you know, the, the life that you had uh, before and different challenges that you face. So what, what's your current situation? Yes, Maria, um, actually every day I thanks my God million times that we are here, we arrived here and my son is now attending special unit, ASD unit in mainstream school. He getting better, actually he delayed to start six years from his age, but he's doing well at school. Uh, also, I have challenging challenges here, but you know, when you feel that you are and children in safe place, you can grow, go through these challenges. So I had to contact at the beginning of my new life here, I had contacted three, 38 schools to find a place for him in January, 2020. As we know, all the people here in Ireland to find a placement for special need child in any kind of disabilities, it's really hard. But thanks God, we found um, a place for him. Uh, I received two exception letters for him. Uh, the staff of the school, the principal, all is working perfectly with him. He's now uh, also has a, many appointments at the hospital, has a file at HSE. They are following his health issue. He has a severe anemia. Uh, some of his blood tests are not okay. They are investigated what, what the causes is or why this happening with him. He got a good treatment from the 
medical stuff as well. Uh, the first time he diagnosed with a report here in Ireland, six years from his age had never been diagnosed because of the lake, as I told you, of professionals. And after many failed trials to find any kind of support, he find it in Syria. He finally find it here. At that time, when I feel like I am hopeless, I have nothing assure me that he's okay or not okay. I felt like the whole world is stopped. But I quickly realized that the world really didn't stop. It began spinning more slowly. And I have to, to take him to a safer place outside this fired land uh, where really the human is respected, where really the place who really give the children their, their rights, who can really help him or support him and support me as well just to be beside him. From my arrival to Ireland, I touched the differences in treatment and the value for children. Even if he's special needs child or even the normal child, the value of a human in generally I'm talking. I learned a lot of things. I passed many challenges. I passed it with a really great support of people I have never met before. They are Irish people, they were super and following his case just to support him, to put him in the first step for education, for health testing, and also to support me emotionally. God miracles and mercy, I always say that it's always available and God always beside us. Thank you, Daniela. Um, so it's it, it, I, it's a relief to hear um, you can access supports. Um, you and the way you described your overcoming some of the challenges um, that you first started to describe. Um, and also, I'm thinking, as you say, uh, of the many many families that perhaps just don't have that opportunity and that access. And so maybe if you want to share, um, you know, what's the biggest lesson that you've, uh, you can share from this process? Um, you know, what's the message that people listening to the podcast you want to share, particularly to those perhaps frustrated moms, frustrated dads, families, um, you know, what's your message of hope to them? In fact, Maria, I would say that I am getting more positive day after day, after many years of, we can say, losing hope, losing optimistic. I learned in Ireland as a mom is to consistently reinforce that he's valuable and he loved 
it's also important for him to shift away from making comparison, as I told you, which really sees the joy, joy for him, for us, for all, all the family. I spent my life, if I spent my life comparing him to the normal, he will never be happy. Instead, if he embraces and appreciate who he is, then he will feel self-confidence by days when he's getting bigger and at ease with himself, him, himself. So if I could support him in this way, I really think he will be better in the future. I told myself once, once you can accept your child's neurological differences, you can focus and leverage his talents and interests to help him create um, a happy, fulfilling life and allowing also him to be who he is meant to be and celebrating his differences with strengthen will strengthen my relationship with him. You know, it's, it's getting to be more stronger, me and him. Uh, this will help me to navigate the ups and downs of life. You know, Maria, that not all, even for normal, the family who has normal children, always we have up and down. So it's harder when you have a special needs child or a child with a special case. It's, it will be harder, more, more specific, we can say. So in Ireland, when I come here, I noticed how much rights we had lost or missed out while we were living in Syria or in the Middle East in general. Mm. Yes. For example, it's important for me and him to learn how to advocate for his needs so he don't get overwhelmed in life and can thrive. Not everyone who really encounters my son will understand autism, but if I try to help him to explain his, himself or he could explain his autistic problem, I think he will be more connectivity with people. And I think it, his life will be meaningful more and he will feel that he's you know, receiving a good support from other people or the community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Daniela. This has been a really interesting message. More importantly, I think you're teaching us how to embrace diversity. So I hope this is um, something that will, everyone listening to the podcast today will also, you know, um, it's a message that they're taking home. So thank you for your time, Daniela, today. And uh, perhaps is there anything else you want to say before we say goodbye? Thank you, Maria, to um, accepting our participation today in your uh, project. Um, actually, I just want to say a message for a mom to keep believing at your, with your child uh there is nothing impossible and to believe i think is impossible to make it so
at that time you can feel or can assure that this is impossible not just say that's impossible i can't do it you know yes. uh, yeah being a mom on to a person with autism has forever changed the way i looked at the world uh, my son has taught me patience endless love and i will be his voice when needed his strengths when when falters and I will be his advocate for a better life for him, for my daughter as well, and any other child just like him. Brilliant. Thank you, Daniela, so much. Thank you, Maria. I wish you a lovely end of the day, and thank you for participating today. Thank you for listening. In our next podcast, Hisham will share the story of how he was forced to leave his home country, Syria, and how he managed to support the people that were left behind. See you at the next time. Amplifying Voices from Development Perspectives and Field Fisher. <laughs>